as we begin this, um, just continue marching through this season of, of Lent and go through our, our detox time, um, we're, in this, um, we're in this series called Dying Words. As you know, um, the dying words of a, of a person can oftentimes carry great significance and great weight. And oftentimes they are the words by which people are defined at the end of their days. I want to um, just do a quick quiz here to see if you can tell me whose dying words these were. All right, ready? Here's one from history. Lift high the cross so that I might see it through the flames. I think I heard someone murmur it over here. Joan of Arc, who said that? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. This is a UCF professor, Dr. Connor. So she is very learned. Good. Let's, let's, let's uh, come down a little bit to the rest of our levels here. Um, okay, this might, might be a little bit challenging. This is the hardest one out of all of them. Rosebud. What is it? Citizen Kane. Excellent. Excellent. You guys are like, what the heck? All right. Okay, let's come even more. Let's go uh, movies. Okay, movie level. Ready? Ready? I'm melting. <laughs> Good, the Wicked Witch. All right, that was too easy. How about... Um, there is... Uh, another Skywalker. <laughs> There's another Skywalker. Come on. Who said that? Yoda in which movie? Okay, okay. good, good, good. Awesome. I don't have to return. Okay. Um, freedom. <laughs> yeah, these are too easy. All right. Uh, you know, a lot of these people... Their dying words are significant because they, not only they represent their dying words, but they represent the way that they lived as well, right? William Wallace fighting for freedom and the significance that that word carries because we know that dying words can oftentimes be a very clear picture as a window into a person's soul, right? As they're dying, right? You see a person's true nature when they're dying, when they're having a bad day, when they're stuck in traffic, when they're losing at sports. You see a person's true nature. And so this message, this series is about dying words, the dying words of Jesus. We look into his heart. We look into um, the mind of Jesus to see what is it that was in Jesus that came out because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We want to look at Jesus' dying words, and we want to look today at the first phrase that he speaks at the cross the day of his death, just moments before he died. We're going to look in Luke chapter 23. And we're just going to read one red letter sentence in verse 34, but we're going to just read starting from verse 32 so that we can capture it in its context here, a little bit, a little bit broader context. This is God's word. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So 34 again, um, just this words that Jesus said. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This is God's word. If you've ever heard a, a message on the words from the cross, if you've ever heard a message about this phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing, immediately our minds gravitate to thinking about, okay, this is what this sermon is about. It's going to be about how we can forgive people. I think that's important, but before we jump to that place, we have to understand that primarily Jesus did not say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing in order to teach us how to forgive other people. 
He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing because that's the words that he was speaking over you and me, over our hearts. Before this is a message about how we can forgive other people, it has to be a message about how God has spoken forgiveness over our hearts. Because a Bible primarily is not a message about here are all the things that you need to do. Go and do it. It's not even a message out here, all the great things Jesus did, now go and do it. The message is, first of all, these are all the great things that Jesus has done for you. And only when you begin to understand this, can you then go out and do these things. The gospel, in other words, the Bible is not first and foremost good advice for you to do this and you can make it into heaven. It's this is what has been done. It is good news before good advice. This is what has been done on your behalf in order that we might be saved into heaven. Therefore, as citizens of a kingdom of heaven, therefore, we live in this way. Okay, so I don't want to jump too quickly into making us the hero, into making us like Jesus and saying, okay, how he says, Father, forgive is how we need to forgive other people. First of all, we have to be the people around the cross over whom he's pronouncing these words and praying forgiveness. Okay, so in light of that, in light of that, the first thing that I want to show about forgiveness is that it implies guilt. Father, forgive them. What does that mean? You don't forgive someone unless they are guilty. Okay, so here we are. We're driving out of church today, and, and maybe you're, you're on your way to eat at the Winter Garden Village. Okay, so you're driving with your family, you're driving with your kids, or driving with your parents, and you're stopped at a stoplight. Okay, just kind of minding your own business, looking around, talking about like all good families do, talking about the sermon and how you're blessed by it. Right? Kidding. Okay, but you're doing that, or you're doing something, and you look in your rearview mirror, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's a car coming. And he's coming fast. And it's not slowing down. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and on and on and on and on. He's coming. And then you're like, oh, stop, stop, stop. Boom. And then he hits in, he smashes into your back, back of your car. You got rear-ended. You got jacked up. Your car moves forward. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what a terrible driver they were. And you look back, and it's a girl, and she's texting, right? So you're so angry at her. She walks out of her car, and she's still texting. She's kind of like, whatever. She's got a huge car. You've got, I don't know, you've got this, like, amazing, I don't know, Toyota Camry or something like that. And she smashes into it with her giant, um, I don't know, Ford Expedition. Okay, bam, crushes it. Your car is, like, crushed. Her car barely any damage, even though she's going so fast. So she comes out of the car texting. She looks at the car. She's like, ah, not much damage. She's like, don't worry about it. I'll let you go. I, for, I forgive you. And she walks back in her car. Hey, what are you thinking? Hey, girl, what's wrong with you? Are you serious right now? You forgive me. Hey, you're the one who ran into my car. You rear-ended. You're the one who was texting because you're dumb. And you're texting while you're driving. What's wrong with you? And she says she forgives you. Why is that such an absurd statement? Because forgiveness implies guilt. If, you, if she's forgiving us, she's, basically she's saying it was your fault. Forgiveness always implies guilt. And when Jesus stands here and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He's saying, Father, forgive them because even though they don't know, they are guilty. Right? They have no idea what they're doing, but they're guilty. See, as they're hearing this, that's what they're hearing. As they hear, Father, forgive them, they're thinking, what are you talking about? Maybe you should ask us for forgiveness because you're the criminal. You're the one dying. We're only doing our duty. We're the ones who are supposed to punish the criminals by giving them the death, death sentence. We're killing you because you've done something wrong. You should be the one pleading for forgiveness and mercy, not us. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. They have no idea. Father, forgive them. But they know not what they are doing. And what Jesus is saying is they are guilty, guilty, guilty but they have no idea of the guilt that lies within. 
you know that just because we don't understand that something is wrong, it doesn't relieve us of that liability. It doesn't relieve us of the guilt. Right? Ignorance is no remover, is no remover of, of guilt. Right? Just because we're ignorant of something doesn't change its reality. They try going to a cop and after you're going 85 miles an hour and they say, hey, uh, do you know why I pulled you over? He said, I have no idea. That you were speeding, you're going 85 in a 35 mile an hour zone. You try telling him, I didn't see the stops, I didn't see the sign. Right? Ignorance is no excuse for guilt. And even though you didn't know it, doesn't mean you're not guilty. Here's another example. I don't know if you've heard about this Orlando police who was hanging out on the highway on the interstate, and there's this Lamborghini right, just speeding by. Actually, it wasn't speeding. It was doing the opposite. It was crawling by about four miles an hour. Four miles an hour on the highway. Can you imagine this? Okay, four miles an hour. And he's like, oh, my gosh, that's just as bad as a speeder. Four miles an hour. So he pulls this Lamborghini over, pulls her over, and there's two um, elderly women in the front, okay? and there's three elderly women in the back driving this Lamborghini, right? And he's like, um, do you know you're, you're going, like, way under the speed limit? I know it can't really fit five people. This didn't really happen. I'm making this up. Okay, so do you know why I pulled you over? And the old lady is like, no, I, I don't know why. I, was go- I wasn't speeding. I was going exactly the speed limit. And he, he said, what do you mean you're going the speed limit? And she said, we're going four miles an hour. And so he thought, he chuckled himself, and he said, no, 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 no. Four is not the speed limit. That's the name of the highway that you're on. You're on Interstate 4. And she said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. As he looked in the back of the car, he saw that all, five, all four of the four of the other women were just like ghost white. They're just pale, completely like shocked, like they've seen a ghost. And he said, before I let you go, is everything okay with these women back here? Because it looks like you guys just saw death or something. He said, ah, oh, we'll be all right. Just give them a little bit of time. We just got off of 535. <laughs> just because we don't know doesn't relieve us of the guilt. So here Jesus is. Father, forgive them. Hey, can you, some of you are confused and not paying attention. Can you explain the person next to you what that meant? Just for a second, and then we'll come back here. So here, Jesus is saying, <laughs> some late chuckles, good. Just because you don't know that something is wrong doesn't alleviate you of the guilt of what you've done. And so Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. What is it that they're doing? They don't know that they're taking God, their creator, and they're nailing him to a cross. They don't know that they're mocking and insulting and spitting on and nailing and hurting and crucifying the one person who loved them in a way that no one else could love them. No one else would pray for them on their deathbed like he is. No one else, probably, I don't know if anyone else ever prayed for these people, but Jesus is praying for the ones who, who are killing him. And they have no idea what they are doing. Max Lucado asks, he says, who would mock a dying man? Who would spit at a person in the electric chair? Who would laugh at them? Who would insult them as they're carrying uh, their baggage on their way to, 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 to get a lethal injection? Who would spit at a person and, 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 uh, and gamble for their clothing as they get the hangman's noose wrapped around their neck or as they put their head through the guillotine? Who would do something like that? And these people have no idea what they're doing. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. 
And as we overhear the words of Jesus speaking to these people gathered around the cross, these are the same words that he speaks over us because we are no different. As we say, behold, the man upon the cross, my sin, my guilt, my weight upon his shoulders, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. This wasn't other people that it wasn't like, oh, I'm so much better than all these other people. Or how dare these stupid idiots at the cross say things like that. This is me. This is me. And one thing remains is God's love remains that he will never, ever, his love will never fail. It never runs out. It never gives up on anybody, even the ones who are killing him. Because the ones who are killing him are us. It's me. It's you. It's us. And he pronounces this forgiveness over us. His dying words, the first of his dying words, were forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Forgiveness always implies guilt. Whether we know it or not, we are guilty as charged of killing the Son of God. If we knew, if I knew how much my sin hurt God, the Father, hurt Jesus, I would not sin as freely as I do. I'm not just talking about these great, big, willful sins that I commit, knowing that I'm doing it. Even the, the, the offhanded sins that I commit, even the, th- the things that I commit without even thinking, without knowing that there's sin, every time I do, I'm crucifying the Son of God on the cross all over again. And so Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. This first word from the cross is a word for you and me. That he forgives us no matter what we have done. Could there be anything worse than the killing of the one who came to save us, the one who came to love us, the one who came to free us from our sin and our bondage? But he pronounces forgiveness over them. He pronounces forgiveness over you and me. The first thing, forgiveness always implies guilt. The second thing, forgiveness always comes with a price. Imagine Jesus, he's having the worst day that you could ever have. He hasn't eaten in probably 18 hours. He has been betrayed by his friends. People who swore that they would be followers loyal to the point of death have abandoned him. He has been flogged within, within seconds of death. He's, and, and the people who are crucifying love it. Crucifying him love it because sometimes these criminals, as they hang on a cross, they can get unruly, they can get feisty, they can fight. But this one is nearly dead. So all they have to do is position the nail and bang through his wrist. That's it. Right, the nail going through what most doctors would say is the most painful part. You ever hit your funny bone? Right, these nerves that go through your, 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 your body? Right, hitting the, the major vein, the major artery that causes these, this burning, pulsating sensation throughout your body. This is not a good day for Jesus. If there was anyone ever in the history of the world who could look at another person and say, I don't deserve this, it would be Jesus Christ on the cross. How does he respond? There are two ways typically that we respond. One of two ways. The first way is a way that we default to. And this is what I do. This is what you do probably. Saying, if you owe me, then you will pay for that. And it's like, I want to put you in your place. If you've done me wrong, then human nature, my instinct is want to put you back in your place. It's called justice maybe. But when justice deteriorates, it becomes revenge. When revenge deteriorates, it becomes bitterness. 
But that's what we long for, isn't it? Someone does us wrong, we want to get back at them. We want to get even with them, isn't it? Isn't that what we, isn't that what we do? Isn't that why when you watch like Jerry Springer, if you ever watch Jerry Springer, I hope you don't watch it, but if you watch it, there's a show that says, uh, my uh, girlfriend cheated on me with my best friend, right, or something like that. And then they have this like, you know, they talk it out, they talk it out, and finally they, they confess, all right, fine, I cheat on you because they're better than you are, because they're smarter, they're better, look at all this stuff. And then the crowd starts chanting, and they're like, yeah, yeah, do something. And then when the one who has been jilted, the one who has been cheated on, gets up and she slaps the face of her ex-lover, the crowd, and we go crazy. Right? Yeah, get him, kick him, beat him up, right? put your high heel in their eye. Yeah, we're so excited because we want vengeance. Because if they owe you, they need to pay for it. Because we want to see. It doesn't feel right if they did something wrong, if they didn't deserve it, and you didn't get back at them. Isn't that how we feel a lot of times? Someone does us wrong. This is my sinfulness. Someone cuts me off on the road. I'm not like, cool, go on ahead. You must be in a hurry. Maybe there's a pregnant lady in there. I don't know. You're late for work or I want to get back at them. At least I want to pull up next to them and then look at them and let them know that they did me dirty. On my worst days, if I haven't been walking with Jesus very well, I want to come back and cut them off and then drive really slowly. Gosh, this sucks. I'm so bad. But that's what I want to do sometimes. Because I have a, an evil spirit. I have, I, have a, I have a dirty soul. It just wants to get back at people. and it's Something about it feels a lot better about doing that. I don't know if you've read this book by Judas uh, Vorst when you were a kid called um, I'll Fix Anthony. Basically tells us it's a story through the perspective of a little boy who's got an older brother named Anthony. And he's, he, he talks about all the bad things that Anthony does. He says, you know what, Anthony uh, knows how to read now, but he won't read books to me. He likes to play checkers, but when I ask him to play checkers with me, he says, get out of here. You stink. You're a brat. I, I let him borrow my Snoopy sweatshirt, but he won't let me play with his swords. Right? I, I, my mom says that deep down, your big brother Anthony, really deep down, he loves you. Anthony says deep down, he thinks I stink. Mom says, no, 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 deep, 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 deep down there, he loves you. Anthony says deep, 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 all the way down there, I think you stink. And then he just kind of changes. He says, that's Anthony right now, but when I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. I'm going to fix Anthony. I'm going to learn how to swim, and he's not going to be able to swim. I'm going to float. He's going to go glug, glug, glug down to the bottom. I'm going to jump off the diving board. He's going to go on, and then he's going to get scared. He's going to turn around. I'm going to lose teeth, and I'm going to put them under my bed, and the tooth fairy's going to come and give me money for it. Anthony's teeth won't fall out. They will wiggle, 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 but they won't come out. Because maybe I'll share one of mine with Anthony, but maybe I won't. And then it it ends. He says, Anthony is coming to kick me out of the playroom now. I got to go. Right now I run, but when I'm six, I'll fix Anthony. I think that's how we feel. So it is scary, isn't it? Sometimes that's how we feel, though. When I've been wronged, I need to put them in their place. But what ends up happening, if you ever felt this way, is your soul begins to get poisoned and bitter and angry and hardened and dead. Annie Lamott says, It's like we drink rat poison and hope that the rat is going to die. And and that's just a, what an image. When we take vengeance and we want vengeance on somebody, we're drinking rat poison, but we're hoping that the rat is going to die. Jesus says there's a better way, though. 
right, where, where revenge says, you owe me, you're going to pay. Jesus says, you owe me, I'm going to pay. Jesus says, instead of me putting you in your place, I will put myself in your place. They were the ones who should have died on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But Jesus takes their place because forgiveness always comes with a price. And Jesus paid that price. You owe I pay. I didn't deserve this. But when he says, Father, forgive, he's saying, I will stand in the place of judgment so that they will take, so that I will take all of the weight of judgment for their sins upon myself, for your sins upon myself. That's what Jesus is saying. For how many times have we crucified the Son of God? How many times have we mocked the Son of God? How many times have we betrayed the Son of God? How many times have we belittled him? And denied him in front of people. How many times have we sat and, and, and we want to pray for our meal, but people around us were afraid of them. And so we don't pray and we deny the son of God. How many times have we done that? Jesus says, you owe me, but I will pay the price for you. Because not only does forgiveness imply guilt, it always comes with a price. A lot of times we think that forgiveness is something else. And this is what Lewis Mead says. He says, sometimes we think forgiveness is excusing the other person. Right? Jesus doesn't just excuse us. There's a price that needed to be paid, and he took that. He doesn't just say, okay, let them go free. He doesn't say, Father, forget them. Father, forget it, because they didn't know what they are doing. He says, Father, forgive them. He doesn't just excuse it. Excusing is what we do when, uh, for example, when, uh, when Elijah uh, burps in front of people. Right? He burps in front of uh, adults. Right? If, if um, Pastor Albert was to do that, I might, I might say, hey, you know what? That wasn't very nice, but if Elijah does it, and it's okay. He, we excuse him because he's a baby. That's what, whenever um, Elijah does something bad and, and we kind of like play scold him, Manny, his older sister, always comes to rescue and say, he's just a baby. He doesn't know anything. He's just a baby. That's what she says all the time. She excuses him. Excusing someone is what we do when we're at Publix and the, and the person is taking an hour to check us out and then we look at their name tag and says, please be patient. I'm in training today. Excusing people is what we do sometimes when we feel like someone has hurt us a long, long time ago. They've changed. They love us a lot now. And so we don't, instead of forgiving them, we say, you know what? I excuse them because when they, back then, they didn't know any better. We don't want to feel, bring up these guilty feelings and make them feel bad now. And so we just kind of excuse it. Say, you know what? I know that they love me. I know that they're doing all that in love. But forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing somebody. Because there are going to be times when excuses don't fix things for you. When no excuse can be made for the behavior of somebody, either against you or against somebody else. Was there an excuse for, for genocide? Is there ever an excuse for genocide? Is there ever an excuse for human trafficking? There's never an excuse for that, but we're called to forgive because forgiveness goes deeper than merely excusing. And forgiveness isn't the same thing as forgetting either. Because a lot of times we could experience hurt in our lives that we just kind of block out and we forget these memories until something triggers it, something happens in our lives, and we're brought back to that place. Forgetting is not the same thing as forgiving. Because we need a mechanism that is far stronger when we can't forget the pain that, that just keeps on haunting us. When we lay down at night to sleep, we keep on hearing, the, the, seeing these, these, these video images being played out of how that person has hurt us. We need something deeper when forgetting can't, isn't possible. And forgiveness isn't any of these things. 
nor is it the same thing as, as reconciliation. I think a lot of times we feel like I can never forgive them because I don't want to reconcile with them. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Jesus says here, Father, forgive them, but there was no reconciliation. Forgiveness is what one person does. It takes two to reconcile. Right? Forgiveness is not reconciliation. That's our part in doing what we have to do. You see, when we forgive somebody, when Jesus forgives us, he's not just forgetting it. He's not just excusing it. See, we need something that goes far deeper, far stronger when these things don't cut it. And one author named uh, John Ortberg, he says, forgiveness is saying, I surrender the right to get even with you. And that's what forgiveness is. At the cross, here's what Jesus is saying. I surrender the right to get even with you. I surrender that right to think a bad thought about you, to say a bad thing about you, to do a bad thing against you. Because that's our human tendency. Even if we don't say it to them, we want to think it. But Jesus didn't even think that. That's what forgiveness is. It's letting go. It's surrendering the right to get even. It's surrendering the right to take our anger out on that person. It's letting all of those things go. That's what forgiveness is. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He didn't just excuse it and say, you know what? He's just a guy. That's what guys do. Or she's just a girl. She's... That's just how she's like. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't forget about it. The Bible talks about how he forgets our sins no more. It's not, God is omniscient. He forgets nothing. But he acts as if, treats us as if we had never sinned because of the cross. This is what it says when he forgets. He remembers our sin no more. And he simply, he doesn't, he doesn't just excuse these things. Because forgiveness always comes with a price. And Jesus paid that price so that we could be forgiven. And forgiveness hurts if we're to extend forgiveness to other people. That's why it says to err is human, but to forgive is divine. Because it takes the power of God in our lives to really be able to forgive in such a way that I think no bad thought, I speak no ill will, I do nothing to get back at them to hurt them. I don't gossip about them. I don't talk badly about them in front of them. I don't talk badly about them uh, to somebody else. I don't do something to hurt them. I don't think anything to hurt them anymore. That's hard stuff. That is incredibly difficult stuff. But the other option is that we poison our soul and get back at them, right? We perpetuate the cycle of vengeance and violence. If Jesus had not forgiven us, and he got back at us, and we tried to get back at him, it just constantly, when is enough? In any relationship, when is it enough? They hurt me, I go back and I hurt them. It's never, okay, you hurt me, I hurt, uh, I got hurt back, now we're even. It's never even, because we always see the perceived snubs of somebody else as being worse than what we've done to the other person. So they hurt us in an eight. We hurt them what we think is a six. They think it's a ten. So they need to get back at us. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, until somehow this cycle of violence and vengeance has to stop somewhere. And so Jesus says, it will stop with me. And so he took that violence and that vengeance upon himself so that we no longer have to fight back at God but that we can move towards reconciliation by accepting the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has offered to us on the cross. Forgiveness implies our guilt because we are guilty as charged, but also comes at a very high price, at a very high cost, and Jesus has paid that.
for us. And the only way that we will ever be able to forgive other people of what they've done wrong to us is if we understand these first two points deeply, completely, totally, and are surrendered to these realities in our heart. To accept the forgiveness of God and then to move forward. Because the last thing that we see is, I don't know what the, what the point says, but here's the idea. Only those who've been forgiven will be able to forgive other people. Okay, only those who've been forgiven will be able to forgive other people. Jesus says the measure of the gospel in your life is shown by how you can forgive other people. As you have received, right, freely you give. As you have been forgiven, freely you forgive. The measure of your understanding of the gospel is how you dispense that to other people. That's why Jesus tells this parable. He says, there's a man who owed what is, in, in essence, millions of dollars. And he begs to his boss, he says, please forgive me. Forgive me of this. I, I can't, I don't, there's no way I could pay it back. I know that my family and descendants for generations to come should be in jail because of the debt that I owe. But somehow would you forgive me of this? Everybody's looking around, they're listening like, yeah, right, fat chance. And he says, go. It's all been forgiven. And he just goes off celebrating. And then he sees this guy who owes him what is essentially $20. And this guy says, hey, I owe you 20 bucks. Will you please, please forgive me? And the guy's like, you need to pay me right now. You better pay me right now. And if you don't pay me, then I'm going to beat you up. He throws him into jail. His boss, his, his, the one who loaned him money, realizes all that he has done. He says, what in the world? Are you kidding me? You owed me a million, millions of dollars. I let you go free. This guy owed you $20 and you throw him in jail. Take this guy, throw him in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because obviously you don't understand grace. Obviously you don't understand forgiveness. Now think about this. How many times, I was thinking about this yesterday as uh, thinking about my life. I thought about how many sins I'd committed yesterday. There was a lot. Okay, think about the things that you did yesterday. Okay, sins that you committed yesterday by things that you did. I knew that God was telling me to do this um, or not do this, but I did it. I knew that God was telling me to, um, to talk to that person, but I didn't talk to them. I knew God, uh, his word tells me that I should be thankful, but I wasn't thankful. No, God's word tells me not to complain, but I complained. Okay, there we go. Four things right there. Not only the things that you did, but what are the things that you didn't do, that I didn't do, that we didn't do, that God said we should have done? And I should have prayed. I was prayerless. I should have, I don't know. Well, let's just stop there. This is getting depressing. Five things. Okay, five things that I've done so far. What are the things that I said that I shouldn't have said? What did I say? Offhanded comments that I made to my friend or to somebody that I was upset at or in the car or under my breath. What are the things I said to my children that I shouldn't have said that didn't point them to Christ? Okay, if you're good, right? One thing. Okay, that's six. What about the things you didn't say that you should have? I should have expressed my love to my spouse. I should have told them that I love them. I should have expressed my forgiveness to them. I should have expressed whatever it is. Okay, there's eight things. Now, what about the things that we thought or the things that we didn't think? They're just beginning to pile up. Now, say we're, we're really good, ten, just 10 sins a day. Just 10. That means in a year, it's over 3,500 sins. In my life, I don't know how many that is. Probably about 150,000 sins. At least, and that's being extremely, extremely generous. I've lived longer than you, but I'm, I'm better than some of you. So you probably have about 150. I'm just kidding. So whatever it is, 50,000, right? Some of y'all is like a billion. 
But each of these sins is a sin for which Jesus Christ died on the cross. A hundred thousand sins. A hundred fifty thousand sins. And Jesus is saying, if you understand all that you have been forgiven of, how can you not forgive someone even if they've committed a hundred sins against you? Even if they've committed a thousand sins against you, that's nothing compared to what you have been forgiven from. They say the only way that you could forgive somebody is if you receive this forgiveness for yourself from God. And understand all that you have been released from. But Peter, he thinks he's doing pretty well. He says, you know what, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone? Seventy times? He thinks that's a big deal. Jesus says not 70, but 70 times 7. So Peter's thinking, okay, this is cool. We're thinking as we read this. 490 times, we get to 491. We don't have to forgive. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. First of all, it's talking about a perfect number, an infinite number. But second of all, he's saying, you're not going to sit there and count how many times you forgive. In the same way, the number of times you forgive should not be able to be counted. And it is limitless. And how much you forgive the people who've wronged you. That's why Jesus says in this model prayer, this example prayer, this sample prayer, of all the things that he could say, he teaches us to pray, forgive them. And forgive me as I have forgiven them. You see, you're not going to pray unless you've been forgiven. And you won't be forgiven unless you've forgiven other people. Because that is the nature of the gospel. You are forgiven, therefore you forgive. And as you've done to others, you will appropriate that love and that forgiveness into your own heart. Forgiveness is to set the prisoner free and then to realize that you are the prisoner. We don't forgive people. We're trapping ourselves in a prison of our own bitterness and hatred and hurt. But as the gospel begins to work itself through in our hearts, okay, this doesn't happen all at once. Right? Ask Joseph in the Bible, Genesis, prime time example of forgiveness. It didn't happen overnight. Our, our will makes a choice to forgive somebody. And we, because I have been forgiven by God, I will forgive somebody. Right? We decide to do that. Our hearts may oftentimes come much later than that. But our will makes a decision. God, I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to release the anger. You see, that has nothing to do with how we feel. I'm going to release the right to get angry and to get back at them. I'm going to surrender that as a choice of my will because I have been forgiven. And then the heart begins to change. We know that we're beginning to change when we begin to see that person as a person again. See, a lot of times when we've been hurt by somebody, we don't see them as a person. We see, when we look at them, we see the pain that they have inflicted upon us. That's what we see. I look at that person, I don't see a human being. I see hurt. I see the hurt that they've inflicted upon me. When I see a person, I don't see a person. I see the pain that they've inflicted upon me. I know that I have not fully forgiven when that's what I see. Because when that's what I see, I am objectifying that person. And that's what I'm seeing. But we know that God is doing a work in our hearts. As we begin to release that and begin to see not the pain, but we see the person. Not the hurt, but we see a human. Begin to see them for who they are. 
And as our heart has made the will to forgive, our hearts begin to change. Begin to love them. Begin to pray for their good and not for their death. You know what I mean? Sometimes, sometimes we pray ill will on people. But our hearts begin to change. But it begins with forgiveness. As we forgive, begin to love. Begin to want the best for a person. Begin to want to see God changing them, doing his work in them. And it has nothing to do with whether they make the first move or not. Because Jesus began before there was any inkling of hope or faith or trust or, or repentance in the hearts of the criminals as well as in our hearts. Jesus forgave us. That's why we repent. It is his kindness that leads us to forgiveness. We don't repent and then we get forgiven. Jesus has put that forgiveness offer out there. And because he has died on the cross for us, no guilt, no sorrow, no crying, no amount of beating ourselves up is going to earn our forgiveness. Forgiveness has been won at Christ, uh, at Calvary, by Christ, by the shed blood of Jesus, and nothing else will be able to, uh, to secure our forgiveness. He has won our forgiveness. And because of that, we move towards him in repentance. Even when we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Therefore, even if the other person is so cold, dead, responsive to us, we still move towards them in forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't reconciliation. It takes two to do that dance. But at least our part is to forgive those who've hurt us because Jesus has made the first move, has poured forgiveness into our hearts a million times over so that we could extend forgiveness, 490, 491, over and over and over again. Jesus made that first move so that we could take the next step. Let's pray together. Hey, if you're uh, if you're sitting here, maybe you have not yet received the forgiveness of God in your life. You know in your heart, you know in your mind that you're guilty of sin that you've done things wrong against God and against other people. You've hurt them. Jesus Christ stands here and he says, though your sin was deeper than the sea, my love goes deeper still. And where your sins cause you to run far and far and far away, his love goes further still to reach out to you. Because if you're here and you have not yet received the offer of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, His nail-pierced hands are extended. Say, receive the forgiveness that was won for you on a hill far away. Maybe for others of us, we're here and we have just a really hard time forgiving our ex-boyfriend, our ex-girlfriend. A really hard time forgiving our spouse. We have a really hard time forgiving our parents. A really hard time forgiving that friend who took our prom date when he knew, she knew that we liked him more. We've been holding these things and maybe we've excused them. Maybe we've forgotten about them. Maybe we've glossed over them. But Jesus says there's a power available to you if you believe in the gospel that will enable you to be set free from the prison that you find yourself in. It begins by understanding all that you've been released from and all that you've been forgiven of. You stand under 
the infinite power and pardon that flows from Calvary's cross. And we drink of this forgiveness. Drink deeply. Because at the cross, there's a power given to you so that you might be able to forgive those who have wronged you. It's a process and it's costly, but it begins with a single step. Whatever that step is for you, this morning, let's pray that to the Lord. God, I relinquish the anger, the bitterness that I have towards my parents, towards my brother, toward my sister, towards a friend that I thought was a friend, to the person that ruined my life, to the person who has inflicted so much hurt on me. God, I move towards you. I don't want to be enslaved in the prison of my own soul's bitterness. But Lord, set me free. Lord, set me free today to begin a journey of blessed forgiveness for the healing of relationship, the healing of my soul, and for the glory of God in my life. Let's take a minute or two just to pray to the Lord, letting forgiveness flow, power of the Spirit. Let's pray together for a couple moments, and then we'll pray. I'll pray on our behalf. is costly and it can be painful it can be difficult and so if you would feel comfortable doing this if you're a, a, a brother with a brother a sister with a sister or your family or your spouse you know just uh, hold their hand or put your hand on their back or just pray for one another and say Lord God give I don't know what's going on in my friend's heart but Lord give them the strength to receive and then give forgiveness. Lord God, release them, set them free from bitterness and pain and anger and desires for vengeance. Lord Almighty, we need your help. They need your help. Would you help them? Let's do that. If you can just grab a person next to you and just pray for them. Pray strength, pour courage into them that they might be able to receive and then give that a freely flowing circle of forgiveness would flow throughout their lives, in and out of them. Let's pray for that.
Father in heaven, I really pray that the roots and the seeds of this message would sink deep into the hearts of your people. Unforgiveness, bitterness of soul has destroyed so many people through the years, has destroyed so many relationships and left so much regret and so much deathbed remorse. Lord God Almighty, the hurts that have been inflicted in our lives are deep. And they cut to the core of who we are. Words so freely spoken have seared our soul and have punctured our hearts. And and Lord, we deal with all of these things and, and they fester in us. Yet if we can understand the depth of grace, the forgiveness offered, the healing that could come to wash us clean, to bandage our wounds, to be a healing balm and a salve to our wounds. Such power to see the gospel at work within our lives. So Jesus, may we not forget this message and these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. But may they be words of life and healing in our hearts so that they might be words of life and healing from our hearts to others, only to realize that they are words of healing for our own souls as well. Thank you so much for loving us, for forgiving us at such a cost. We love you because you've loved us first. In Jesus' name we pray.